humble heart. I think this one is my favorite. I think the reason that the humble heart is my favorite of all the heart conditions we've looked at is because it doesn't take any talent or skill to have a humble heart. And that is sometimes a blessing and encouraging. So my study has led me to believe that the humble heart is beautiful in the sight of God and man. And this lesson, as all the rest, is adapted from Joyful Life Publishing's In Christ Unconditionally series, Heart Conditions. James 4.10. Oh, our handouts. James 4.10 is at the top of your handout. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Christ was the perfect example of humility in action. Our culture encourages us to make life all about self. That makes us the opposites of Christ. Humility is not a natural part of our human nature. To become truly humble, we'll have to die daily to our selfish desires. It takes tremendous strength to be humble in heart, especially since we have a battle with our own pride, which we looked at last week. It was a very uncomfortable lesson. (laughs) Our question for class discussion today is to name someone from Scripture whom you would describe as being humble and tell why. Last week it was very easy to think of all sorts of people who had proud hearts or who at least had proud moments in their lives. But we're looking for a humble heart. I thought of Mary and Joseph. Both were submissive to God's will. Both were humbly obedient to God's plan for their lives. In fact, when Mary answers the angel after he comes to her and tells her what's going to happen, she says, be it unto me according to thy word. And then further down in that same chapter, she lifts her voice in praise and she magnifies the Lord. So I thought of Mary and Joseph. Does anyone else have an example? Linda. All right. She took care of Naomi and was always by her side. You think of a servant's heart with Ruth. Yes. Anybody else? Jen. Okay. What is it about Esther that makes you say humble? (laughs) Because it takes a very humble person to spend time looking at yourself before going to the king to ask for... Esther had to humble herself to go to the king on behalf of her people. Right. Any more examples? We mentioned the Lord Jesus Christ, of course. He took on human form, human limitations... The Bible says he made himself little more than a servant. He suffered the death of a cross. In fact, Philippians 2, 7 through 8 says, Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Any other examples? Alyssa? Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus. He found out what he had done. He gave back to the people. You're right. So Zacchaeus, and he was humble because... He repented, and it's very hard in that instance to go back and make right. It takes the humbling of self to go back and make right that sin. That makes me think of David also, because many times in the Psalms, he humbles himself before the Lord. And after he sinned with Bathsheba, he had to do the same. Well done this morning. Any more? I don't want to miss anyone. All right, let's talk about what biblical humility looks like. After a few weeks of studying for these lessons on these heart conditions, I find that I often have to begin any definition of a biblical word or a spiritual topic with what it is not. As strange as it seems, I've decided the reason for this 
is because our culture always moves to what is opposite of biblical principles and biblical truth. It's actually amazing to me how often they try to go to whatever is exactly opposite of what God has said or set up. I try to point this out to my kids. You see things even driving down the road. Uh, Favorite strategy of the deceiver is to relabel and redefine spiritual truths. I just brought one example for you this morning, and that is faith. So true biblical faith has an object. The object is obedience to God. Our culture defines faith as a feeling, a feeling of spirituality. It's two opposites. Our concern today is what humility is not. It is not weakness. As already mentioned, it takes great strength to be humble. Strength to act with a humble heart as a servant. Strength to humble yourselves when you've been wrong and go back and make it right. That takes a lot of strength. (laughs) So it is not weakness. It is not believing that everyone else is better than you, although it is showing them preference in your behavior. It is not feeling small and worthless, although it is accompanied by a lowliness of mind that reflects the servant's heart that we found in Christ. It is not a doormat mentality, letting everyone around wipe their feet on you, so to speak. That's not biblical humility. It is not a false humility, always verbally putting yourself down in hopes that somebody else will contradict you and lift you back up. That's false humility. For a clear understanding of biblical humility, let's look at a case study from God's Word. Our example of humility is John the Baptist. So that will be Roman number one on your handout. Example of humility is John the Baptist. And the very first thing we're going to see in the life of John, letter A, he humbly obeyed God's will. He humbly obeyed God's will. And we're going to look at John chapter 1 and verses 6 through 7 and verse 15 together. John chapter 1 and verses 6 through 7 and 15. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So we see his purpose. We see God's will for him. Skip down to verse 15. What did John do? John bare witness of him and cried, saying, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. John lived to serve and to draw others to Christ. He wasn't a robot. It's easy to look back at Old Testament or any Bible character and what we know about them we've known for so long or it's been in the Bible for so long that we kind of forget that they were people. He wasn't a robot. He made a choice. He chose to follow God in a calling that didn't provide him with what we would consider a decent change of clothes. It didn't provide him with what we would consider regular meals. There may have been opportunities for John to do other types of work. If you think about it, his father, Zacharias, was a priest. Being born into a priest family was an honor. And he could have served in the temple like his father did. His dedication to his purpose in life, the call that God had for him, is an example to us. And if you search the Bible, God has revealed many purposes for our lives. So it's God's purpose and design for us to glorify him. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. God has called us to lead others from darkness to light. A reference for that, Acts 26.18, to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, that they may receive forgiveness of sins. 
And of course, we know it's God's will for us to serve and follow him. John 12, 26. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. So John's single-minded focus to the task that he was created for shows his humility in accepting and fulfilling God's will rather than pursuing distractions or personal gain or envy of others and the ministry that God had for them. God had given him a job to do. God had a purpose and a call for his life, and he fulfilled it. He humbly obeyed God's will. We continue to see a humble heart in John the Baptist's life in the way he lifted up Christ. That is letter B. He humbly lifted up Christ. This is key to John's humility, and you will see this characteristic repeated throughout the lesson when it comes to a humble heart. This is the subtle difference between man's attempts to achieve humility and biblical humility. We're going to look at a few references that reflect John's view of Christ, that show us this humble attitude when it comes to lifting up Christ. Number one, John said, He that cometh after me is preferred before me. I have three references, John 1.15, John 1.27, John 1.30. They all share that same phrase. I'll read you just one time. John said, This was he of whom I spake. He that cometh after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. John lifted up Christ. The second phrase I want to give you, John said, I am not the Christ. We find that in John chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. You can follow along if you're still in John 1. I'm going to start at verse 19. And this is the record of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Art thou Elias? And he saith, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, No. Then said they unto him, Who art thou? That we may give an answer to them that sent us, What sayest thou of thyself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Isaiah. When you're in a position like John was here, and people are coming, and they're really just asking you, Oh, tell us about yourself. A proud heart would have responded differently than he did. The priests and Levites came from Jerusalem to talk to John. He could have boasted about his relationship, his physical relationship with Christ and their mother's relationship. He could have mentioned or talked about all the things that this special ministry that God had for him. But instead, he chose his words humbly, carefully. He admitted that Christ was mightier. He gave the glory to Christ he saw himself, there. we read in another passage, not even worthy to touch the buckle on Christ's shoe. So he lifted up Christ. He said, I am not the Christ. Biblical humility focuses on Christ, not self. And if you want to write something down, you can write that down. Biblical humility fo- focuses on Christ, not self. The third thing John acknowledged in lifting up Christ is found in John 3. He must increase I must decrease. That's a humble attitude. That's in John chapter 3 and verse 30 that we see him say that. And that's the whole verse. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's a humble spirit. Fourthly, John said, Behold the Lamb of God. That's back in John chapter 1 and verse 29. 
The next day John seeth Jesus coming unto him, and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. In his ministry, as part of his purpose, John lifted up Christ at every opportunity. He made much of Christ. And the fifth instance where we see John magnifying Christ is in John chapter 3, verse 29. And let's just look at that verse together. I love this verse. John chapter 3 and verse 29. I think this is our feeling as well, or should be. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but, this is how John saw himself, the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. John the Baptist lifted up Christ at every opportunity. And one last point to illustrate his humility. This would be letter C. John humbly gave God's message. He humbly gave God's message. This is over in Matthew 3, 1 through 3, the verses that we want to look at here. Matthew chapter 3 and verses 1 through 3. John humbly gave God's message. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John called the people for repentance of sins. He was a lone voice in the wilderness, we read in our New Testaments. He was a man of unusual appearance. He was preaching an unpopular message, an uncommon message. I think that it's good to recognize that humility is not afraid of the truth, just similar to the fact that humility is not weakness. It's not afraid of the truth. This is another characteristic of biblical versus man-made humility. As we chase the topic of humility through the Bible, there are several principles of humility to be found. That's the second main topic in our outline. Principles of humility. Letter A, some of you may recognize this, we've talked about it at other times. Humility loves simplicity. And John the Baptist is a great illustration for this also. If you consider his record, John was a young man when he began his ministry after his years in the wilderness. You think of the wilderness as a solitary place. You think of it as a place with not very many distractions. The simple life provides an ideal environment for the development of godliness with contentment. Our culture has us trapped trapped in an endless stream of sound bites. They're grabbing our attention at every turn, these distractions. Cultivating a simple life can allow us room to focus on the spiritual and the eternal if we will focus our minds there. By keeping his life simple in every area, John was free to serve the Lord without the hindrances that affect most other people. He didn't really have to worry about his clothes. He didn't worry about his menu. He didn't have much to worry about in his location. Not a lot of things to run off and do. So, the more we get to know Jesus and the principles in his word, the greater will be our desire for a humble life. Not only does the solitude of the wilderness simplify our lives, but the loneliness that comes from wilderness experiences can also humble us. And if you think of times in your own lives where you went through something that you would call a wilderness experience, it is humbling, and it does focus your mind on Christ. 
Another man of God spent 40 years in the wilderness being humbled. That was that was Moses. And he was a man who battled with pride and anger. We know that. We know the story of Moses and the Egyptian. But the Bible tells us he became the meekest man on earth. So when we experience a time of wilderness training, the focus shifts from what we possess, what we control, what we have, to who is in charge of our lives and who possesses us. That's a good shift. Our relationship with Christ is eternal. Anything we gather this side of heaven is temporal. I want to share two verses with you on this topic. The first is Galatians 2.20. This goes along with where our focus is. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That reminds me of the few phrases we talked about with John the Baptist earlier. He's preferred before me. He must increase, but I must decrease. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That servant's heart. And the other reference I have for you is Philippians chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. The Apostle Paul said, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And here's this verse that shows us that humility requires great strength. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So those are two good references to remind us humility loves simplicity. Letter B, humility is a condition of the heart and mind, not an achievement of the flesh. Humility is a condition of the heart and mind, not an achievement of the flesh. Matthew 18.4 reminds us, Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Colossians 3.12, we're instructed to put on humbleness of mind. Well, what does this mean then? Philippians 2.3-4 explains, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. We only discover humbleness of mind through dependence on Christ. That is where the center is. We do not choose to be humble so much as we resist pride in our lives and see ourselves from God's perspective. Man-made humility worships the creature more than the creator. And that's another case of the opposites that we find in God's way and man's way. That is a backwards way of looking at things. Thirdly, third principle of humility, humility magnifies Christ. Humility magnifies Christ. Let's look at Psalm chapter 34 and verses 2 and 3 together. Psalm chapter 34 and verses 2 and 3. This is a great reference for this point. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. In Romans 12, 3, we are warned not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. There is biblical humility, and then there is man-made humility. Biblical humility magnifies Christ. Like John the Baptist, it lifts up Christ. Man-made humility lowers oneself, but without 
magnifying God. That is the difference. And that viewpoint, that philosophy of lowering self to what we would call a humble position without magnifying Christ is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for disaster when it comes to someone's mental health, when it comes to your interactions with others. We'll end up thinking to ourselves, any variation on these phrases, well, I'm a failure. Or maybe you think of yourself, well, I have it all together. Or maybe you think about yourself that I'm not so bad. Or you compare yourself to others. It is more profitable to consider what God thinks about you. Only God knows the heart. When we're focused on magnifying the Lord, magnifying Christ in all that we do, we will spend less time in either self-defeating or self-promoting analysis. In either case, the focus is self We want to lift up the Lord. That would be biblical humility. We've looked at an example of humility from God's word, John the Baptist. I've given you just a few principles of humility. But the topic of humility is really a very broad one. If you think about it, we should seek a humble heart. We should desire a humble heart. We cannot claim to have a humble heart. All of a sudden, then we've gone too far. Humility prefers others, not because we believe them better than ourselves, so much as we're lifting up Christ and we're following Christ and his example of humble service. Humility is that which precedes and makes possible so many of the spiritual graces. This last point I really enjoyed studying about. I called it graces of humility. Roman numeral three, graces of humility. Things that humility precedes and makes possible. Many of the spiritual graces. Letter A, this is obvious if you think about it. Our need for salvation required a humbled spirit. Luke 18, 17 tells us, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as little child shall in no wise enter therein. Childhood is characterized by what should be humble dependence on the parent's provision. We had to humble ourselves in acknowledging our need for Christ and acknowledging our sin and casting ourselves upon the provision of Christ at the time of our salvation. So our need for salvation required a humbled spirit, letter A. Letter B, this is a throwback to our first lesson, biblical wisdom finds fertile ground in a humble heart. Biblical wisdom finds fertile ground in a humble heart. The primary characteristic of a wise heart is one who will hear and receive instruction. This attitude in obedience is only made possible by humility. A proud heart cannot and does not receive correction and instruction. Solomon sought wisdom with a humble heart. And Proverbs 1.5 also tells us, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. And then letter C, under graces of humility, All the fruits of the Spirit grow in the soil of humility. I'm going to go through these pretty quickly, but this was really fun to look at. All the fruits of the Spirit grow in the soil of humility. First, fruit of the Spirit in the list, love is rooted in sacrifice, in preference of another. We would look at that as a humble spirit or attitude. Think of 1 Corinthians 13. Charity suffereth long in his kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. 
Sounds like the opposite of a proud heart, yes? Humility of heart allows for a very tender love, a sacrificial love. True joy, second fruit of the Spirit, true joy rests on contentment in Christ, a very close relative of humility. Our treasure is laid up in heaven rather than living for the pride of life. We're told in Matthew chapter 6 to lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through nor steal, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. That will cultivate a humble heart in our lives. True joy rests on contentment in Christ. Peace is a product of a humble heart. This is a good one. Matthew chapter 11, 28 through 30, who knows these verses? Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How does that work? Well, humility brings rest because humility says, I am not God. I do not need to know everything. I need to know him. So peace is a product of a humble heart. Long-suffering. Long-suffering refers to our endurance in our dealings and relationships with other people. I don't think I'm going out on a limb to say that humbleness of mind is required here when it comes to long-suffering with people. Matthew 5 says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ephesians 4, 1 through 2, calls us to walk worthy of our vocation with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. That's that humble behavior. The grace to humbly suffer, suffer long with a brother or sister in Christ is grown in the soil of humility. That's long-suffering. Gentleness. Gentleness is a humble manner. Paul beseeched the Corinthian believers by the meekness and gentleness of Christ to walk in the Spirit. A humble manner. And so far as is possible in our actions toward others. Next fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Goodness is service to others which is an outworking of humility. The Bible tells us only God is good. So if we're following Christ with a humble heart, we will do good to others. Hebrews 13, 16 tells us, But to do good and to communicate, forget not, for with such sacrifices, I could add such humility, God is well pleased. Next, in the fruits of the Spirit, is faith. Faith grows best in a humble heart because it is not crowded out by fear of man. Humility builds immunity to both the praise of man and the condemnation of man. Instead, we grow in our trust and obedience to our Savior. So if we're endeavoring to practice biblical humility in our lives, which is not just a lowering of self, but it's a lifting up of Christ, then we will be more focused on him and less focused on either who we're afraid of or what someone thinks of us. And therefore, faith will grow best in that humble heart, not crowded out by fear of other things. In many ways, meekness, that's next on the list, meekness is a synonym for humility. And it's good to remember here as we're discussing the fruits of the Spirit that we can magnify Christ. 
and we can practice humbleness in our mind, for example, when it comes to joy and contentment, and in our actions, when it comes to long-suffering and gentleness and goodness. But we do need the Holy Spirit to work in us to give us a humble heart. And last on this little list we're doing with the fruits of the Spirit, pride does its own thing. Temperance and self-control come by humility and self-denial. Temperance and self-control come by humility and self-denial. The opposites of pride. And temperance and self-control and humility grow the opposite fruits in our life as pride would grow. If humility is the soil in which the fruit of the Spirit and other Christian graces grow, where does humility begin? It begins with Christ, the true vine. We are a lowly branch. Humility is abiding in the the vine, remembering the Savior's words, Without me, ye can do nothing. That will help with a humble heart. Humility is being continually washed in the water of the word, which tells us in Isaiah 55, God said, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now that's a proper position for us to be in, and that is us looking at ourselves from God's perspective. Humility is seeing the husbandman as the sovereign Lord of all the earth, and accepting with contentment that I am under his care. It's a really sweet heart condition to have. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.